Good morning, church family. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we, we don't want to lean on our own understanding. Lord, we, we are surrounded by a world uh, that is leaning on human understanding, and it's leading to chaos. And we know that so often in our own lives, when we lean on our own understanding, it leads to chaos and dysfunction in our own lives. And so, Lord, we're, we're coming to you. We're coming to your word. We're coming to the very beginning, asking, Lord, that you would speak to us through your word so that we would lean on the understanding that set the heavens in place and on the wisdom that, that separated the dry land from the water and on the intelligence that, that spontaneously with a word spoke every living creature into existence. We want to lean on your understanding. And so God, we pray that you would help us and speak to us now in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, these pieces of artwork started to show up in Bristol, England in uh, the mid-1990s. Stencil art, very simple but very profound graffiti that was somewhat funny, somewhat ironic. People began to wonder, who is, who is doing these paintings? Uh, Eventually, the person became known as Banksy, uh, but he's still anonymous. Uh, some people claim to know who Banksy is. If you want to get in touch with him, you, you can, but no one really knows who he is. There's three or four different theories about who Banksy actually is. But we know that he's an artist. And although there's multiple theories, there might be some disagreement on who Banksy is, no one doubts that there is a Banksy. Everyone looks at the art and says, well, there must be an artist, right? You have a good meal and there must be a chef who made the meal. You listen to a good song, there must be a band that produced the song. You look at a building, you think there must be an architect, there must be a builder. Everyone looks at Banksy's art, and although Banksy is anonymous and there's some, there's some sort of mysteriousness about him, no one doubts that there is a Banksy. And yet the strange thing about our world today is that there is this beautiful piece of art all around us called creation, called planet Earth, called the cosmos. And yet although we look at some spray paint stencil on a wall and say someone must have made that, we look at all the complexity and the beauty of the world all around us and say, well, no, that must have happened by accident. Uh, today we're looking at the book of Genesis, at the work of art called creation. And just like if you get familiar with Banksy's artwork, you can sort of get a sense of the guy's personality. You, you, you can even have an understanding of what his political views are or where he stands on certain social issues. And I'm by no means recommending that you follow his political or social views. But if you look at his art, you get a sense by looking at the art, you can tell who the artist is, what the artist cares about. And in the same way, when we look at creation, and when we look at the creation story, 
we get a window into the artist. We look at the art and we can see who the artist is. We can look at God's creation and understand who he is as creator. The series that we're in is Foundational Truths for Confusing Times. We live in a confusing time. There isn't one scientist on planet Earth who will not wholeheartedly agree that there is an artist who is painting on those walls. And yet many of those same scientists who see art and assume there must be an artist look at creation and deny that there is a creator. That's why we live in such confusing times. Design points to the need for a designer. Now Genesis does not describe really how God created the earth. It's more concerned with telling us who this God is. The reason why uh, scientists and the book of Genesis, the, the reason why they seem so opposed from one another is that Genesis is not answering the questions that science wants answered. But Genesis is answering the questions that science can't answer. Science can answer what and can answer how and can take a guess at when. But science cannot answer who and why. And that's what the book of Genesis does. That's what Genesis chapter 1. It, it not only tells us that the world was created in six days. It tells us who is the God. Some of us stumble over the thought, how could God create the world in six days? That's the wrong question. It's what kind of a God has that much power to be able to create in that way? So we got to make sure that we're letting the Bible answer the kinds of questions for us that it intends to answer. And so uh, today we're, we're going to be looking at the God of creation. And by looking at the artwork that is creation, we can learn about the artist who is our creator. And rather than zeroing in on the six days or the six time periods, today I want to look at six things about God that are revealed in the way that he created the world. Here's the first one. The God of creation is a God who speaks. The God of creation is a God who speaks. And as he speaks, it reveals his omnipotent power. We're picking it up where we left off last week on day one. It begins in verse three. Kedro read this for us. And God said, let there be light. And look how the sentence finishes. And there was light. All God had to do was speak. He doesn't speak the way that we speak. We want things to happen. We talk about things. We can't make things happen by our words. But God has omnipotent power. He said, look at verse 6, and God said, look at verse 9, and God said, look at verse 11, and God said, and God said, and God said, all the way down. Ten different times on the six days of creation, God speaks. Now remember, the original audience, Moses is writing this 
for his original audience under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the escaped, rescued Hebrew slaves who are going through the wilderness headed for the promised land. God said is repeated 10 times. When they think about God speaking 10 times, God having 10 things to say, what do you think is on the mind of those rescued slaves who are on their way in the wilderness to the promised land? God speaking 10 times. The 10 commandments. That God speaks with omnipotent, omnipotent power and authority. He is a God who speaks? I love in verse 11, it says, And God said, let, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which there is seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And look at the end of verse 11. And it was so. You got all of the plants and all of the trees and that whole system of seed and planting and this whole design. God just said it. And I just love the way the, the, the author summarized, and it was so, and it happened. We serve a God who speaks, who speaks with omnipotent power. So my question for us this morning as we think about this first truth, about who the, who the artist is behind the art of creation, he didn't use a paintbrush, he didn't use clay, he used his voice to speak the creation into existence are you listening to his voice, loved ones? It, we live in such a noisy world. We're, we, we're reading words, we're hearing words, we're seeing words all around us. All of these messages. And what are we allowing to direct our lives? The people of Israel had the Ten Commandments. We have the Ten Commandments. We have God's living and active Word, are we allowing him to speak or are we tuning him out and getting all riled up or discouraged or entertained or distracted by all of these other messages in the world? Our God is a God who speaks and he speaks with omnipotent power. We're praying that he would be speaking through his word even this morning. So the God of creation is a God who speaks. Secondly, he is a God who names He's a God who names, who names with unchallenged sovereignty. When, when God creates the, the light and he says, let there be light, he, he calls it good. And look with me at verse 5. It says, he called the light day and he called the darkness night. Look down with me at at verse 8, it says, after God created the expanse, the, the separating the waters from the waters, it says that he called the expanse, in verse 8, heaven. He called it heaven. God names things. Let's talk a little bit about this expanse that's created on day 2. God calls this expanse heaven. Remember in, in, in chapter 1, verse 1 and verse 2, the, the world is just described. It's, it's just water. It's just darkness. It's, it, there's this sort of chaotic description. And God separated the waters from the waters. The most straightforward interpretation here is that, is that we see water changing in its density and floating up into the air to produce clouds. So you have the water that is above us in the clouds and the water that is below in the earth. And the space in between is called 
The, the expanse is called the heavens. Now those clouds up there, we often don't think of them as water. We just think it's this white, puffy mist. You know, just the average everyday cloud is one kilometer cubed. They don't look so big when they're, so, they're way up there. They can be anywhere from 2 to 18 kilometers in the sky. One kilometer cubed carrying about 1.1 million pounds of water. The density is different, that's why it's floating up there, but God is, is holding, he created the expanse, the heavens. Now that term, uh, heavens, is used in the rest of the book of, of Genesis, in, in, the book, in, the, in the rest of chapter one. So he establishes it as sort of the, the heavens, as the space between the water and the clouds, but then when you get down to verse 17 on day four, he sets the sun and the moon in the heavens, so it's even above the clouds. And then when you get to a day, a day four, sorry, day, day five, when he creates the birds, and he has them fly across the heavens. And so it's below the clouds where the birds fly, it's, it's the clouds, and it's above the clouds where the sun and the moon are. So for the Hebrew reader, the heavens is just everything above them. And then you get into, as, the, as Revelation con, or, uh, continues to progress in the book of Genesis and throughout the Old Testament, heavens beyond the birds, beyond the clouds, beyond the sun and the moon, there's another place where God dwells and it's also called the heavens. Everything above the earth is called heavens and God named it that way. Look with me at verse 10. It says, God called the dry land earth. And the waters that were gathered together, he called seas. God has labels for everything. He names things. And he's showing in naming. Naming in ancient culture is a sign of sovereignty and, and authority. And God is showing that he is the king of his creation by naming. The ability to name someone or something is a sign of your dominion or your authority over those things. What's the first thing Jesus did when he met that guy named Simon? Remember Simon? We don't really think about Simon that much because Jesus immediately, as soon as he met him, changed his name to Peter. Jesus showing his authority over Peter. And how weird would that be if you meet someone out in the church foyer? Hey, how you doing? I'm James. No, your name's not James anymore. Like, how weird is that? But Jesus is, is asserting that he is the king, that he is the one who has authority. Now, we live in a world today where we're continually trying to just change the definitions for things. Changing the definition of what a recession is. So that, that's sort of an, an economic thing. Or how about sociological or historical things? Changing the definition of what oppression is. Uh, everyone's describing about being oppressed. How about, go back 50 years or 60 years or 200. You want to talk about oppression? Let's really talk about oppression. Now what does it mean? So let, let's, let's change the definition of what a man is or what a woman is. Let's change the definition of marriage. We think, our world thinks that we have authority, that we can just somehow rename things or recategorize things that God has established and given names to. Our God is a God who names. 
Thirdly, the God of creation is a God of order. A God of order. Everything that God creates, every creature and every aspect of creation has a function. It has a relationship with the rest of creation. And it has a rank in terms of where it fits in relation to creation. There is purpose and there is intentionality all around us because there's a designer. God didn't spray paint outside of the stencil. There is a boundary. There is a, there is a design. There is an intentionality all around us in creation. The wisdom of this world says it's all random. It's all because of mutation. It all happened over years and years of accident after accident. That we're all accidents. Then not, how, how discouraging is that? That we're all here ju- just because of randomness, just because of accident. Well, what's the point of living? No wonder we're so discouraged and depressed and despairing in our culture. God is a God of order. Notice how God God is described as separating his creation. Going back to day one in verse four, God separated the light from the darkness. He's creating categories. He's also creating boundaries. Look at day three and verse nine. God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place. He created boundaries. Water, welcome to the shore. You may go no further. God creates boundaries. Our loving God has created boundaries for creation. He's created boundaries for you and me. He's created good and healthy boundaries that help us to thrive because God is a God of order. Think about day three there for a second. God, from the perspective of the original audience, God gathering water together and dry land appearing. How would that resonate with the people who escaped from Egypt? Remember that whole thing at the Red Sea? where God gathered the water together and they passed through on dry land. This is the God of creation. He's creating categories. Then on, look with me at verse 11. On, on, when, when God is crea- still on day three, he's creating the vegetation. Verse 11, and God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth, and it was so. All of these, all of these trees, all of these plants were created according to their kind. There were categories. A tomato plant is not the same as an apple tree. They both produce red, round spheres, but it's not the same. They are a separate category who were created according to their kind. If you plant an apple seed in a tomato garden, it's not going to produce tomato plant. It's going to produce an apple tree that will produce apples that will produce more seeds. This is all God's design. This is all God's 
intention. Pine trees produce pine cones that when they go in the ground produce more pine trees, not oak trees or maple trees. Maple trees send around those little helicopter things. This is all God's design so that it would go into the ground and create a maple tree. Not a walnut tree, but walnuts fall. Those seeds fall in a walnut. And and a, a squirrel takes it and moves it around. All part of God's design. They're all interconnected. The squirrel takes that and moves it and relocates it so that it's... How we consume seeds, how animals consume fruit and seeds and vegetables is all part of God's plan, God's design. We were cleaning up our our garden, our yard uh, yesterday, and we had lettuce growing, not where we planted lettuce. Why? Because we let our lettuce go to seed. I'm a bad gardener. And it started blowing, and it was across the garden. We, the, the new lettuce was better than the lettuce we planted. <laughs> but it's all God's design. It's all his plan. Verse 24 and verse 25 talks about God creating the living creatures according to their kind. Livestock, creeping things, beasts, uh, beasts of the earth. God created them in those kind of categories. He designed them. Livestock, cows that just sort of stand around and eat grass. God created them. They were created to be domesticated. Humans didn't figure that out. God designed them that way. Humans didn't look at a horse and say, I should probably ride that thing. No, you look at a horse. It was, it's made to be a vehicle for human beings. It's God's design. He, he created them in categories of creeping things. Stay away from them. And <laughs> livestock, cattle, and horses, and then the beasts of the earth. They all have a purpose. It's all part of God's Plan and they all reproduce according to their kind. A male horse and a female horse reproduce to produce another horse. It's all part of God's plan and design. Look with me at day four of verse 17. It says, And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. He set the sun and the moon in the heavens, He put them there. He, he took this massive sphere of burning gas that we call the sun. God just called it the greater light. And he put it there, even though it's burning at 15 million degrees Celsius, he put it far enough away. He set it far enough away so that we don't all burn up because if it was just a little bit closer, we'd all be toast. But if he set it a little bit too far away, then we'd all be popsicles. There's or we we the God of creation is a God of order who separates things and who sets things and sets them apart again for the original audience. The Hebrew people were, were called, they were a nation that was set apart. There were certain days that they were supposed to separate from other days. They weren't normal days. They were special days. They were holy days. There were certain foods that they could eat or that they could not eat. They were continually being told to separate, to have order in their lives. Why? Because they're supposed to reflect the God who created the earth with order. He speaks. He names. He orders. Night and day. Night is not day. Day is not night. Light and dark. 
plants and seeds and reproduction. Even the, the whole idea of six days of creation shows that God is a God of order. Remember in Genesis 1 verse 2, it said that the earth was without form and void. It was formless and it was empty. And on the first three days, God is taking care of the formless part. It was without form. So he starts forming light and darkness. He forms sky and water. He forms the land. And then he starts to, he handles the void problem. He starts filling the light and darkness are filled with sun and moon and stars. The sky and the water are filled with birds and fish. And the land is created or is filled with animals and humans, forming and filling. Now, some of you are looking at this, though, and you're thinking, okay, so the land and the vegetation on day three was created, but the sun wasn't put in place until day four. I mean, the order of creation seems a little bit out of order. I mean, photosynthesis, uh, how can we, uh, the water cycle, how can we have plants and vegetation if the sun and the moon wasn't created until after the, I mean, maybe mushrooms could have grown. How, how, how do we put these things together? Well, let's, let's sort of fast forward the tape right to the end, Okay. So Revelation chapter 21, verse 23. Let's get this on the screen. So this is, this is how it's going to be for all of eternity moving forward in the new heavens and the new earth. The city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the lamb. So when, you, when we've been there 10,000 years bright shining as the sun... We won't need the sun because the glory of God will be its light. So if for all of eternity, thousands upon thousands, millions upon millions of years, if we won't need a sun then, do you not think that God could have figured out the first 72 hours without the sun? Because it's really just three, it's not a big problem for him. He's already got it figured out in the new heavens and the new earth. So let's just trust that he had it figured out at the very beginning as well. Now, this, we, we got to talk just briefly about this whole 24-hour day thing, okay? Uh, because I, I know, I'm sure many of us have had many late-night coffee shop conversations with, with non-Christians or with Christians about God creating the world in 24 hours, and this is not a reason to really divide with other uh, Christians on, but I, I just want to share with you why I personally uh, believe that God created the world in six 24-hour periods. Some of you think, well, there was no sun. And so how can you have a day without a sun? Because the earth has to rotate around the sun in order to have a day. Well, the earth doesn't have to rotate around the sun. That's a year, okay? Let's be clear. <laughs> All you have to have for a day is for this to happen. Do you think that God could have made the world spin? Because that's all that needs to happen to have a day. Now, it is true that the Hebrew word day, the word yom, can be used in different contexts to describe an age or a period. And you don't have to look very far. Like, look at chapter 2, verse 4. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day when the Lord made the earth and the heavens. Did God create the world in a day? No, it was a week. 
but that week is called the day. See what I mean? Sometimes the day can mean a time period. Here the day is describing six days. So some people, and then you have the day of the Lord, which is not just one single day, but a moment in time, a period in history. And so what do we do with this this idea of day could mean sort of a time period? Well, just four things for us to consider. Number one, when the Hebrew word yom is used in connection with a number, it always refers to a 24-hour period. First day, second day, third day. Day number one, day number two, day number 14. It's always referring to a 24-hour period, so keep that in mind. Also, what's the deal with evening and morning? If it's just symbolic, if it's just, why the evening and the morning? It seems like God is talking about a 24-hour day. Look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 14. When God creates the sun and the moon and the stars, he says to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for what? Days and years. So in Genesis 1, he uses the word day to describe a day. And so back in verse 13, when he said morning and evening and the third day, And then in verse 14, he talks about a sign for seasons and days. We can be pretty confident that Moses means means day. And then, again, we're always trying to look at the book of Genesis through the lens of the original readers. God said ten times, ten commandments. What's the Sabbath command? Where is the Sabbath command, the day of rest? Where is it rooted in Exodus 20, verse 10 and 11? It's rooted in God created the world in six days. So you should rest on the seventh day. So the the original readers would have been thinking about about their their own command, about not, not the Sabbath is not some abstract time period. No, the Sabbath starts at sundown. It starts at evening and ends the following evening. It's a day. And so we have good reason to trust that we serve a God who is powerful enough to speak the universe into existence over six. Now again, we got to have some humility when we talk about these conversations. Remember what God's word tells us in uh, Psalm 90. Let's get, uh, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. Second Peter 3.8, do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Truth be told, we as humans didn't show up until day six. And so we actually don't, we, 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 we can't speak with absolute certainty, but we can, we can look at the text and come to some pretty solid conclusions. But then that might ask the question, why does the world look so old? <laughs> if God created it in six days, and when you think about how fast the speed of light travels, and there's a whole bunch of sort of problems about, about the age of the earth, what? Looks like things were happened by erosion or, or by age. Now, the flood will have something uh, to do with that. And, but just also keep in mind that when God created Adam, he created him as a man. He didn't create him as a boy or a baby or as a zygote. He created him as a man, and men are old. I'm a man, and I'm an old man. You don't get to look like this without a lot of years going by. Adam was created as a man. 
God created plants and trees as plants and trees. A tree doesn't grow without a seed, but God started it with the thing fully formed. Just like when Jesus turned the water into wine. You can't have wine without a long process of fermentation. But in a moment, there was wine. Because that is the power of our God. Again, we can agree to disagree on these things. But God is a God of order. And that we need to follow his plan and his design for how things are to be ordered. So God, the God of creation is a God who speaks, a God who names, a God of order. And then fourthly, he is a God who judges. And he judges with perfect wisdom. Seven times God looks at his creation and says, it is good. It is good. Once on day one, twice on day three, on day four, day five, and then twice again on day six, God says it is good. The same God who separates light from darkness and land from water separates good from bad. Who, who puts in the, in, the, in the Garden of Eden the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right and wrong, righteousness and sin. Our God is the God who judges, and his judgment on his initial creation is that it is good. Physical matter is good. There are many religions and philosophies, and this was massive in the church at Corinth and the, the churches that uh, the Apostle John was writing to in First and Second and Third John would teach that, our, that anything physical is bad and only the spiritual is what matters. And so that's why you had all these strange views on sexuality in Corinth. One, one view that said, do whatever you want with your body. It's only your body. Sleep with whoever you want. And then other people saying, no, your body is evil and, and, and it, uh, your spirit is what matters more. So refrain from sexuality even within marriage. No, matter is good because God created it to be good. And yes, there's a curse on the earth because of sin, but God's original creation was judged to be Good, your body matters. How you treat and steward your body matters. How we care for and protect the, the bodies of our neighbors matter. What we do with our bodies matters. How we treat God's planet matters. Now, we live in a world that's very different from, from some of the ancient religions or what was happening in Corinth, we live in a world that says matter is all that matters and there is nothing spiritual and all we have is this planet and then worship of our own bodies and worship of sex and, and then talking about the environment and Mother Earth and as though protecting the environment, this is all we have. And that has become a religion in and of itself with its own categories of priests and rituals and all of that. But that's not all bad. Because creation is created by God and it is good. And so it is right for us to enjoy God's creation, to explore God's creation, and to never exploit God's creation. Christians, God has given us this, this earth as a, as a gift and as a stewardship and as a responsibility. And there's a lot that's wrong with the environmentalist movement. 
But that doesn't mean that we don't care about the good creation that God has created. He is the good and perfect judge. Explore his creation, enjoy his creation, protect his creation. Because God judged that it was good. So a God who judges with perfect wisdom. Fifthly, a God of abundance who gives generously. A God of abundance who gives generously. Look with me at day five, down on verse 20. This is when God creates the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. He starts with the large sea creatures. In in verse 21, the great sea creatures, again, for the original audience, the The creation myths and the cultures around them all started with a sea monster that needed to be killed. That the sea monsters represented evil. No, they're part of God's good creation. Everything in the ocean was created by God and it's good. Every every bird, every creature, even mosquitoes originally, were created by God and good. But God's a God of abundance. Look look what he says in verse 20. God says, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures. He doesn't just want a handful of fish. No, he wants swarms of fish, swarms of sea creatures. And then he wants the the birds, the, the birds to fly across the heavens fly above, to to fill the heavens with with birds. He wants them to flock together. And then he tells them in verse 22, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. He wants more fish. He wants more birds. He's a God of abundance who gives. All he does is give. The plants and the trees had seeds and a a means of reproduction. God creates and he wants more. He's a God of abundance, multiplication, reproduction, procreation, swarming, filling is part of God's plan. This 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 is why this is so important. Because we have an enemy who was always trying to tell us that God is holding back on us. I mean, that was the angle the serpent took with Eve, right? Really? You can't eat from any of the trees? And he's like, well, no, actually, it's just the one tree. Well, why can't you eat from that one tree? Why is he holding back on you? But we serve a a, a father of lights in whom there is no shadow or turning, and every good and perfect gift comes from him. He is a God of abundance all he does is give. The cre- As you study the rest of Scripture, you realize that the creation flowed out of the perfect, abundant love between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That they were so fully satisfied and enriched in, within the Godhead that out of the overflow of God's abundance and the light of who he is, creation is the result. God didn't create the world because he was lonely or because he wanted to be the creator or he wanted to rule over something. God is not merely ruler because if he was only ruler, then he, he wasn't who he was until he created something to rule. And he's not creator only because if he, if, if he was only creator, then what was he before he created something? No, God was fully God and fully abundant and fulfilled within Father, Son, and Holy Spirit before he created anything. He's a God of abundance. 
He's generous. He gives. Look at verse, look at the end of verse 16 when it's talking about setting the sun and the moon in the sky. At the end of verse 16, it says, and the stars. Yep, and the stars. Our latest count of the stars is 200 billion trillion. That sounds like something, a number my seven-year-old made up. But that's the actual estimated count right now, 200 billion trillion, and the stars. These massive spheres of burning gas, many of them dwarf our own sun, which dwarfs our own planet. Not, we, we could have got by, really, to sustain life. All we needed was one, right? All we needed was one. And yet there's a billion trillion spares. How, how many fish, you know, for human beings to eat and survive? Because really that, all God is doing at this point is he's just laying the groundwork. He's, just, he's creating a place for his image bearers to live. How many fish did we need? How many livestock? How many different kinds of plants or fruit? We, we all could have got by with just a little bit. But our God is a God of abundance. The, the creation account is teeming with life. There's this, it, it's exorbitant. It's, it's superfluous. There's, there's just more than enough. This is the kind of God who created the world. We look at his art and we can, we can see the heart of the artist. And then in, in verse 22, lastly, Make note of this, that the God of creation is a God who blesses. He's a God who blesses, and he blesses with boundless love. That, that, that abundance of love between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, which, which created the overflow of creation, he, he creates with, with blessing and with boundless. Verse 22, to the, to the fish and to the birds, he blessed them. The God who speaks and who names chooses to speak to his creatures he speaks to his creatures. He tells them, go, go, be fruitful. Go and multiply. And then more about this in the coming weeks, but jump down to verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea. He gives humans, they get to have dominion. All the fish of the sea, all the birds of the air, they belong to you. God is a giver. He's abundant. And over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, the image of God. He created him, male and female, he created them. Look at verse 28. And God blessed them. He is a God of blessing who blesses with a boundless love. There is perfect love within the members of the Trinity. And, and out of the overflow of that love, he showers that love on us. He showers that blessing on us. And he gives human beings dominion. And just like God speaks, he gives human beings the ability to speak. And he blesses them with the ability to name. Adam names all of the animals. And Adam even names Eve. And Eve names her children. We have the ability to name and we have the ability to order and structure things. And, and God blessed us with the ability to judge and, and, and to determine what is right in dependence upon him. And, and God has given us the ability to be abundant and to bless 
others. We're created in his image so that we would speak and name and order and judge and be generous with abundance and to bless others. But we believe the lie of the enemy. We believe that these things were not true of God. And we said, I want to judge between good and evil. I believe that God is holding back on me and I want to set the terms for abundance. I want to establish what order is. I want to be able to name what is good and what is evil. And so because Adam and Eve and all of us have rejected the artist behind all of the art, how is all of this going now for us? How are human beings, how are you doing when it comes to speaking or to naming ordering, judging, giving, and blessing. How's our speaking going? Words filled with lies, filled with hate, filled with deception, filled with bitterness and resentment. How, how, how's naming going? How are we doing at establishing categories and labels? We're just making it up as we go along. No one can define anything anymore. How's order? We live in such a disordered, chaotic society. Judgment. We're, we're, we're judging the 15 seconds after we hear something happen. There's, there's no due process. We've already made up our mind. We're not judging with wisdom. We're, we're celebrating things that, that should be shameful, and we're, we're, we're ashamed about things that should be celebrated. And rather than generosity and abundance, rather than filling the earth, what are we doing? We're filling the earth with garbage, with pollution, with material stuff that means nothing. And rather than focusing on the joy of family and relationships, we're trying to acquire as much stuff as we can and exploiting the earth in the process. And rather than blessing, we are cursing and condemning and canceling one another. This is, this, is the, this is the disorder that comes when we reject the artist behind the art. I don't know if Banksy has ever painted himself into one of his paintings, but this artist in Genesis 1 came into his creation. And he came and he spoke like no one ever spoke before. And he did say, yeah, Simon, you're no longer Simon. Your name is Peter. He named because he had authority. And he took some of the disordered things in our world like disease and sickness and he healed. He restored the perfection of the created order. And he brought good and true judgment to rescue those who are oppressed and to put in place those who were oppressors. And he was so abundant. I mean, 12 baskets full. All you had was five loaves and two fish. You fed the thousands of people. You got all of these Tupperware containers filled with leftovers. He was abundant. And he blessed. Little children ran to him. The grown-ups were trying to keep them away, but he, he, he embraced them in his arms. Loved ones, and he blessed them. And he spoke blessing on his people. And so, loved ones, creation in Genesis 1, if you're looking to this text for answers about how 
and about when. That's, that, you're not really going to get the answers you're looking for, but you're going to get more important answers. You're going to get who. And you're going to get why. Why was all of this created? Why did God do all of this? And loved ones, it's because of the praise of his glory. Again, we fast forward to the very end. I'm going to invite the choir to come up as we get ready to erupt in song in just a moment. But look with me at Revelation chapter 4. This is praise happening in heaven. All of the heavenly beings are there casting their crowns before the throne of God saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. And by your will, they existed and were created. So God is praised in heaven because of his work of creation. But then in the next chapter, we're introduced to the Lion of Judah who's standing near the throne like a lamb who was slain. And listen to what happens next. With Genesis 1 in the back of your mind, they start to sing, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Now everyone get on your feet because you got to hear this part. Listen to what happens next. Understand that as you get ready to lift up your voice in praise and worship, that one day the choir is going to be bigger than this choir. The congregation, the congregation is going to be bigger than this congregation. Listen to what it says next. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, say it out with me, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we worship you, Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. We worship you, Spirit of God, who hovered over the waters of creation. We worship you. We give to you praise, but you, you don't need us to give you praise. You don't need anything because you are eternally self-sufficient, self-existent. All you do is give. And so, Lord, out of the abundance of all that you've given us as, your, as our creator, as your creatures, Lord, we give you praise. One day, one day, Lord, the lions and the tigers, the giraffes and the platypuses and the fish and the seagulls, they're going to join with us in praising you. We marvel at that reality. Lord, all creatures... All creatures were created for your glory. Thank you for the privilege of declaring your praise this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.